calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute and host of the Take 15 series. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded live at our annual conference in London. Be sure to check out other live recordings at annual.cfainstitute.org backslash live. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, welcome to Conference Live, CFA Institute's coverage of its 72nd annual conference here in London. Joining me at the Conference Live stage is Daniel Pink. I'm Jason Voss, the CEO of Active Investment Management Consulting. Thanks very much for showing up. Jason, it's good to be with you. So for those of you who don't know in the audience, Daniel is a best-selling author, perhaps one of the most widely translated authors of the last 10 years. His books include A Whole New Mind, uh, Drive, and When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. I'm going to ask several questions about that book, but okay. then um, I, I think it's a rare opportunity to sort of check in with somebody who does a similar job, believe it or not, as investment pros, if that's... Sure, good. I think that makes okay. sense, yeah. All right, so uh, let, what do you mean by perfect in that title, The Scientific Secrets oh, of Perfect Timing? Oh, okay. Well, what I, what I mean by perfect, Jason, is better, all right? So the idea is this, is that when we make our timing, we make all kinds of timing decisions in life. And, I, and here I'm not talking about market timing. I'm talking about things much more pedestrians, like... When should you do this kind of work? When should you do that kind of work? When should you start a project? When should you abandon a project? And we tend to make those decisions based on intuition and guesswork, sure. um, not based on any real evidence. And that's the wrong way to do it because there is this, uh, what's emerged is this very rich body of science that gives us facts, evidence, data about how to make those decisions about when to do stuff in a more systematic, intelligent way. Share with us some of those secrets. Oh my gosh, there's so yeah. many different things. So, so when it comes to the, so when it comes to the unit of a day, yeah. Okay, let's take just the unit of a day because when we think about timing, it's 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 multifaceted. So, um, certainly we have the unit of the day, and some t and and what we know about the unit of the day is that our cognitive abilities don't remain static over the course of a day. Our cognitive abilities change over the course of a day. They change in material ways, they change in predictable ways. And if you know how that pattern works, you can begin to make better decisions about when to do certain things. And most of us, when we schedule our day, when we, go, when we, when we figure out what kind of work we're gonna do when, we don't think about that. We basically just, whatever is like right in front of us or whatever is convenient, when we schedule meetings, we make it all about logistics. And in fact, there's systematic evidence showing that you can make better decisions about when to do your work in the course of a day. What's more, we also know in a more episodic way that different, that you know, our lives are a series of episodes, right? And so episodes have beginnings, episodes have middles, episodes have ends. Um, and each of those different stages exerts a different influence on us. So, so for instance, on beginnings, there's some days of the year that are better for starting a behavior change than others. Midpoints, all kinds of amazing stuff on midpoints. Um, you, you look at the research on teams, teams often do not get, usually do not get started in earnest on a project until the exact midpoint of the project, when someone raises their hands, signals saying, hey, we've squandered half of our time, we gotta get going. Endings have a huge effect on our behavior in, in terms of our memory, in terms of how we, um, in, in how we encode experiences. Uh, endings have a big effect on our motivation. Uh, endings have a big effect on, uh, endings are a big source of meaning for people too. So, so it's this, it's this multifaceted uh, uh, body of research 
that um, really spans the human condition. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's a structure that's underneath all of these decisions that if we pay attention to, we can be more effective, if not perfect, better. Um, so what are some of the st strategies you advise for tapping into that structure. Okay, so let's. So, so you're exactly right. So there is. It's there. There is. Let's take the unit of a day because it's the most, you know, easiest for us to process. So there's a hidden pattern of the day, and basically what we know is this: that most of us move through the day in three stages: a peak, a trough, a recovery. Right. And that's true for our mood. Our mood goes up. Our mood declines. Our mood recovers. Now, most of us go through the day in that order. All right. Peak early in the day. Trough in the middle of the day recovery later in the day. About 20% of us, though, don't do that. They are people who have an evening chronotype, people who are night owls, naturally go to sleep late, wake up late. They're not lazy, they're not shiftless, it's just, it's like some people are tall and some people are short. Sure. And so they tend to go through the day in a different way, uh, but for them, the key is that their peak is much later in the day. Okay, so here's what we know. During the peak, which for most of us is the morning, that's when we're most vigilant. We're able to bat away distractions. What does that mean? That means that's the ideal time for doing work that requires heads down, focus, and attention. Analyzing, or analyzing if you're a, a CFA, analyzing, a, analyzing data, going, you know, carefully going over a financial statement, uh, writing a report, that kind of work. Work that requires that intense focus. During the trough, it's a terrible time of day. I mean, everybody sort of jokes about that and says, oh, I feel sleepy at one. It's a terrible time of day. There are huge drops in performance across many, many domains. There are per capita more traffic accidents then than at any other time of day. There are big declines in performance in healthcare. It's a terrible time to get surgery. You have a decline in hand washing in hospitals. You have a decline <laughs> in performance on standardized tests in schools. Yeah. I mean, it's really bad. So we should be doing our administrative work then, work that doesn't require massive brain power answering our routine email. And then during the recovery period, which again, for most of us, is later in the day, um, that's an interesting time because our mood is up, but our vigilance is not. And that makes it a good time for things like brainstorming and other sorts of, of stuff that requires mental looseness. Sure. And, and so there is a way to more systematically map out when you do certain things because all times of day are not created equal. And again, just to underscore the key point, Jason, our brain power does not remain constant and static over the course of the day. It changes. It changes in big ways. And the premise underneath so much of the so many of the decisions we make in organizations is that brain power just goes like that. So it doesn't matter what time you have a meeting. Sure. It doesn't matter what time you do certain kinds of work. It doesn't matter when you answer your email. It matters. So what do you do differently now with this knowledge that you did before? Like, what have you changed? Yeah. Okay. So, 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 a great question. So, I'm a writer. Yeah. And and um, and writing requires heads down, focus, and attention, vigilance. Vigilance is you want to write, and you know this from writing. You want to know. You want to write when you're at your peak of vigilance because because it's so writers are so willingly distracted, right? So, so, so for me, I'm more, much more of a morning person than an evening person. So I should do my writing in the morning. I didn't always do that until. I started looking at this research and I said, whoa, you know what I have to do? I only have this three hours of maybe peak vigilance in the course of a 24-hour day. If I don't get my best work done during that period, that's a big problem. And so I, have, um, I, I changed the way I do things. So I will come into my office um, at maybe 8.30 in the morning and on writing days. I will give myself a quota of words. And I won't bring my phone in with me. I won't open up my email. I won't do anything else until I've hit my quota. And I do that again and again and again and again 
And again, what I don't do, and actually knowing what not to do is very instructive for us. Sure, of course. I used to, for a long time, the first thing I did when I came into my office, even on writing days, what do you think I did? Checked email. Yes! Answered my email. So I spent an hour, I, I squander basically a third of my... Productive time. Productive time. Your on flow some, time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so for me, it's had, a big, it's had a big, big effect. Same thing is true with things like exercise. There are better times of day for exercise depending on what your goals are. Sure. So let's transition now to some of yeah. these more investment-oriented questions. Now, those in the audience may think, you hey, you've got this luminary uh, who writes about all these different subjects. Why investment oh, questions? Uh, yeah. Well, I think you have demonstrated a couple of skills at things that investment pros face as obstacles yeah. quite a bit, too. Yeah, One definitely. of them being taking complex ideas, especially from scientific papers or from some academic journal, yeah. and distilling them simply. What are some of your keys or tips or what do you do uh, to ensure the message gets across effectively, as well as, and by effectively, not just that the meaning is communicated, but it's easy to understand and digest. Yeah, yeah, that's a, um, I, I'm glad you said that because I do think there are similarities between what I do and what a lot of financial professionals do because there is so, there's such a welter of information out there. So, so it's, to me, there are two different dimensions. One of them is basically the breadth of information that's out there. And the, the one that I think that you're asking about is really just kind of how do you take complex things and make them understandable. Yep. And so there are, um, for me, one of the most important things is going to sound reductive, but you have to understand them yourself. So when I read a, a paper, I don't read it just once. I'll read it multiple times. Sure. If it's in a domain that, I, that I'm not that familiar with, I'm pretty good at economics and social psychology, but for this book, When I Had to Do Microbiology, I would go through that paper, literally circle the words that I didn't know what they meant, make a list of those words, look up those words, read it again, read it again, sure. read it again, and just try, and, and through the process of writing, try to get it to the point where it was accurate without being um, uh, unnecessarily complex. And, and that's the thing, and, and, and I think it's true, for, I think it's true in, in, in for financial professionals, true. One can make the world of financial advice or financial analysis extraordinarily complex. Yeah. But going back to your point, underneath there, one layer down, it's actually not that complex. So There's you're some, fluency then translation. Uh, yeah, but 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 it but what that requires is it's like an ice skull. You gotta just keep chipping and chipping right, and chipping sure, and sure. chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping. It's not anything, it's not a it's not a, a smooth process. Right. All right, so next question. It's yeah. slightly different than that one. Um, Many of your books, I think, have done well. It's almost as if you've adventured in the frontiers of what's interesting, and you've sort of brought back your insights into that possible future. Investors do the same thing. We have yeah, to anticipate absolutely. possible futures. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that you do to anticipate and understand future developments, and what are some of the ways that you do that? Like, how do you stay, how's your finger on that pulse? Well, um, I think there are a few things. Number one is that, as I think, is, is having a breadth of information sources. I really think that's important, and I find that a lot of people in all kinds of professions, they're lawyers, they read only about law. They read only about antitrust law, you know? Um, and I think it's really important to read and absorb widely. So what does that mean? That means if you're, if you're, if you're an artist, read about science. If you're a scientist, read about art. Yep. If you're, you know, in a, and for financial professionals, yeah, find out what's going on in the art world. Find out what's going on in the scientific world. Find out what's going on in sports. Like just having that wide, wide breadth. The other thing is to um, is to make sure you have a process for capturing things. So, for right, instance, sure. so for instance, I hope I pay, pay this off here. I almost always 
There it is. Whew. Ding, 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 I ding. almost all, yeah. I uh, should have checked ahead of time. I almost always carry with me. It's connected to my microphone, but we'll do it. We'll 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 make it. We'll make this really worth it. I always carry a notebook with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so I write down things that I hear. Yeah. Um, uh, book titles, uh, factoids, um, even just words that people say, and just and I have a process through which I, I put them into a system and I and I and I collate the, and I collate those things. So I think it's a matter of looking broadly. Um, having a system, and then also just being curious to certain kinds of things, which is which I like to call, or other people call, weak signals. They're strong signals and weak signals. Yep. Weak signals are over here. They're not screaming themselves out, all right? You gotta listen for those. Sometimes they're not going anywhere. Other times they come here. And, and, and certainly for, for investors or financial professionals, yeah. if you have, like, it's like, oh, I see this strong signal. It's a, if it's a strong signal that everyone else has already identified, it's not that useful. Of course. But if, it's, if you have a weak signal and you have enough experience listening to weak signals and saying, oh, this is a weak signal that's not going to fade away, then you can use it to your advantage. So for my last question, uh, what frontiers are you currently monitoring, exploring, maybe more importantly, evaluating? Yeah, there are a number, a number of different things. Um, you know, one. You know, as you know, Yogi Berra said, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. But, but, but uh, you know, so, so, but we, but what we know, though, there's certain things that we do know, and, and to yeah, me, yeah, better than predictions. Like, what are you curious about right yeah. now? Yeah, uh, I'm. Well, we'll take it, as a given you know what you're doing. <laughs> no, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's, okay, l let me say something that's safe to say. Yeah, all right, sure. I can say this with 100% certainty. Yep. Tomorrow, you and I will be older than we are today. Yep. Okay, demographics. All right, demographics is a big lever for so many different things, certainly in investing. Yeah. All right, and so I pay, I pay a lot of attention to demographics, and I think one of the things that's really interesting right now is we're going to have a population that is very, very old, and we're are getting older and older and older, and especially in the, in the U.S. and some other countries, a, a cohort that is very, very young. All right, and so we think of that as basically a public finance problem, and it is to some extent. There's so many other dimensions of it. There's so many other dimensions of it, from, from um, uh, how long people work, to how many careers that people have, to um, what are our rituals surrounding death, to um, there's, there's data out now showing a surge in divorces among Americans who are in their 50s. Um, and so, so demog demographics is a big, big deal. You pay attention to that, you start seeing some of these weak signals. All right, I have to cut you off, unfortunately. Um, thank you very much for being here. Thank totally you, Jason. appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I am Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.